We are in Mark chapter 4, um, and we've been in Mark for a couple months now, and we've been talking about Jesus, looking at Jesus, the king, and the kingdom that he is ushering in, the kingdom that, that he has always been bringing to earth, but now he's come as the king to lord over it, to establish it, to change hearts and minds. And so we've looked at um, what has that meant for Mark, and, and Mark's gospel is a little different from the other gospels. It's, it's quick, there's no uh, birth story. But Jesus just kind of, kind of comes out of nowhere. They do have John the Baptist proclaiming that one would come, that a king is coming. And then Jesus comes, and in Mark 1.15, we actually see that he says, um, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. You see, that the people that Jesus is coming to had an expectation and a hope. They had been told that there would be a Messiah that would come, and he would make the things that they were experiencing, the hurt that they were experiencing, the uh, persecution that they were experiencing, he would take that away. And he would restore all things. And he would establish a kingdom for them to dwell in. And so they had this expectation and a hope. Now, those are two different things, right? Hope is something that we're putting our, our hope in, but we don't really know how it's going to come. Expectation is we kind of have this idea of how it's going to come. And so I think when we think about um, the, the, the people, the church that Mark is writing to, they had an expectation. Like Jesus would come, and he would come with power, and he would come with might, and he would overthrow the government and their circumstances, and they, he would change everything so that they could rest. And Jesus didn't come like that. So their expectations weren't necessarily met, but their hope was met. Jesus has come and he's establishing a way and it's different from the way that they had expected, but it's a better way. It's a good way. And as we're going to see, it's the way that he's always done. It's the way that he continues, the way that God has established even from the beginning. But as we think about this king that has come, how do we know this king has come? Well, we see it in, in the baptism when the heavens open and there's a voice that says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. You can only come to the conclusion that that's God talking, and he's saying that this is the Son of God. And so Jesus' authority is being established in word, and then Jesus goes and he teaches in the synagogues. And he teaches like no one else. The, they, the disciples said, man, who is this guy that teaches with authority? And then Mark uses not only his words, but his deeds to establish his greatness and his his authority, his lordship, the fact that he's king, because he comes and he heals. He heals people that had been lame and makes them whole. He casts demons out of people, and they, they have to flee because of his authority. And so Mark spends these first four chapters establishing, no, this God, this Jesus, he's the one that you hope for. How do we know it? Because he teaches like no one else. He, he teaches the word of God and plants the seed. And he also follows it with these works and these deeds that no one else can do. This is the king that you've waited for. And then, Jesus begins to dismantle the, the expectations that the people had. He begins to call insiders outsiders and outsiders insiders. He begins to look at the religious people of the day and say, you have missed it. 
You've made it something other than it is. And then he looks and he gathers the sinners and the tax collectors, people that no one else would uh, associate with, and he gathers them in and he says, you are mine. And he eats with them and dines with them. And then we see that he uses these teachings and then finally these parables to really begin to establish like the kingdom that you're looking for is different from the kingdom that I'm bringing. And so we've been given these parables, the parable of the sower who would go out and he would cast the seed and and the seed would fall on four different types of soil and three of them, there's no fruit that's been produced and then in one of those soils, by the grace of God, something would grow up and it would be fruitful and beautiful. And then Jesus talks about the lamp that would shine into the darkness and that shining actually exposes us But the the lamp that he's talking about is himself and he's coming and he's preaching and he's teaching in a way that exposes our sin. But the beauty of it is that same lamp that exposes is the one who came and he died on a cross so that not only does he expose the sin, but he's the one that can do something about the sin. And that's the good news that he's teaching. And he continues and he talks about how the miraculous, mysterious growth of the seed That the farmer just, he scatters the seed and then he goes and he lays down and he wakes up and he lays down and he wakes up and that seed would sprout and that seed would grow and it would produce a harvest. And then one day, the the harvesters come and they harvest the grain. And so really just resting on, man, if, if God is growing this thing, he's the only one that can produce it. He's the only one that can make it happen. Today he comes and he challenges with this idea of the mustard seed. And so we're going to look and we're going to see that God is using parables. We have to remember that a parable is using something that is known to describe something that is unknown. So while maybe we're not familiar with the mustard seed, the people that during this time, they know that the mustard seed, that's really small. It may not be the smallest in the world, but it's really small. And so Jesus is alluding to that and he's bringing that and he's saying, hey, Now, this kingdom that I'm talking about that you don't know about, you do know what a mustard seed is. It's really small, produces this big bush, this big tree. And so Jesus uses parables to take things that we do know to help us understand what is unknown. So we're going to spend some time there this morning. Listen, Jesus is really um, intent on making sure that we hear. He says it over and over. Let them who have ears hear. And so this morning, we want to ask. Because we can't do that. We can't turn our ears on. We can't fix ourselves so that we would hear. But we can ask that the Holy Spirit would change us. That He would give us ears to hear. That when we look at Scripture, it wouldn't just be uh, this cute little story. But it would be something that changes our lives. So let's do that. Let's ask God that by the power of His Spirit, we would hear Him today. Lord, we thank You that we can gather together in this pavilion. God, surrounded by your creation in awe of who you are and that you meet us in this place, God, because you're faithful. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear today. That by grace, we would see your face in your truth. Lord, and we would have an encounter with Jesus and we would know Him and see Him in His beauty and in His glory. 
that, that that knowing would have to change the way that we live. God, that we would leave here different from when we came in. God, and we know that this only happens by your grace, through the power of your spirit, through the working of your word in our hearts. God, that the seed that is planted, that you grow it up. So, Lord, we ask that today in this place, and we ask it, Lord, as your church throughout the whole world, throughout time and history has proclaimed your word, God, we pray that you would do that in the world today, that you would scatter the seed and that it would take root and that fruit would be born out of it. God, would you save today? Lord, would there be some today that would hear it for the very first time and their lives would be changed radically, Lord? God, and would you use it for the thousandth time in our lives? And Lord, may we be changed today. God, don't let us be the same. Don't let us walk in our self-righteousness and in our arrogance, Lord. But may we come humbly and say, God, I just I want to be that seed, that small thing that you would grow into this big thing. God, I pray for Pinita today. Lord, I pray for Palm Bay, the other Cross Point Coast congregations. Lord, I pray for um, the church throughout the world that we know of in Mongolia and South Africa, Lord, Nicaragua, places where we're partnered. God, but Lord, even more so, Lord, places we don't know. God, where in obscurity there's someone that is preaching the gospel. God, would you go and would you bear fruit today? We thank you, Lord, that we can pray this prayer with confidence, knowing that this is your will, this is your desire. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus begins this parable, and he says this. And he said, what can we compare the kingdom, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? Now, Jesus already knew. <laughs> he's not asking and taking requests like, what parable should we use, guys? No, he's, this is a, the way that the rabbis would teach, is they would use questions like this so that people would stop and pay attention and so this, again, is another one of the times where Jesus is calling them to listen and to hear. He says in verse 23, if we look back, if anyone has ears, let him hear. And then in 24, he says, pay attention to what you hear. You see, as Jesus is making these proclamations of the kingdom, he's saying, listen, all of the things that you could hear, they're all good, but this one's really important. And so he uses this way of asking the question, hey, what, what would we compare it to? And then he comes in and he compares it to something that they weren't expecting. So first point this morning is we need to listen carefully. We need to listen to what God is saying because if we read verse 30 and then we jump to 33 and 34, he says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. You see, God, Jesus used parables to call people to, to hear. And the beauty of it is, like, they couldn't, just like us, and we already said, we can't change whether we can hear or not. So it's a gift of grace that we would be able to hear this morning. And that we'd be able to respond when he says, listen up, pay attention, that, that we would look up. That we would see his word and we would be in awe of it. So remember that. That you didn't do this this morning. Probably some of us thought that even coming to this pavilion was what we did this morning. A decision that we made. And yet 
we believe that God has actually stirred in our hearts the idea that we should go into the middle of a park and hear the word of God proclaimed. And so it's grace. It's his, word, it's his gift to us this morning that we sit here under this teaching. And it's his gift to the disciples that they would sit there under his teaching and, and he would actually come and sit alongside them and say, hey, this is what that parable meant. And he would give them wisdom because they had ears that could hear that he had given to them. You see, in the Gospel of Mark, we've already seen Jesus over ten different times call the people to listen, to hear what he has to say. And so what he's saying here in the parable of the mustard seed is important. One of the things we need to remember is that as we hear, it, it whets our appetite. Like as we, as we hear what God's word is, it has this compounding effect. It makes us want to read more of his word. It makes us want to hear more of what he has to say. When our hearts are hardened, we begin to, to back away from these things. And when, we're, when we have indwelling sin, we'll, we'll kind of run from God. And we talked about it particularly with the, the lamp that shines in the darkness. Right? We, we'll tend to want to be in our darkness unless... God is doing something in us that we would want to be exposed and then we would come and say, God, search me and know me like David, right? Search me and know me. Expose even the hidden sins that I have so that you would be glorified. And so this morning, if we have ears to hear, let's press in even more. Let's move towards what God is telling us to hear him. Our desire is to be close to Jesus, to know him, so that when he speaks, we know his voice. And we respond to that voice, and he changes us and conforms us and transforms us into his image. So this morning, we want to hear. The, the point of the message this morning is found in the parable. Two very short verses. It is like talking about the kingdom of God, verse 31. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. And puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. God began small. God often begins with small things that grow into these large things. When we talk about the kingdom of God and what he's done, we can go all the way back to the very beginning. We can look at the Garden of Eden. He puts two humans in the garden and this is what he says. So God created man in his own image in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And what does God tell him to do? And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, God often begins small, begins meager, and then grows and establishes his kingdom. And so this is from the very beginning. He took two people and he said, hey, go and subdue the whole earth. But he continues. He began small even in calling his people. After sin enters into the world, God, his plan's not thwarted. His plan has always been to have a people to himself, to call a people to himself. And he does that as he calls Abraham, right? We remember Abraham. He was Abram when he gets called, and God gives him a new name, calls him Abraham. But from Genesis 12, 1 and 3, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go 
from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God speaks this promise to Abraham when he has nothing. Like we talk small, he has nothing. He has no children. He's, they think that they're too old to have children, and yet this is God's promise to him that out of this small thing, out of this nothing, I will, I will do a good thing, a big thing, a thing that would gather all of the nations to me. And then we see that even as the, the nation that God had promised is scattered and they go into exile, God still continues to say, I have a remnant. I have a small people that are still mine. Isaiah 10, 20-21 say, In that day the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. A remnant will return, a remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. You see, this isn't something new that Jesus is coming in and he's saying, okay, this is a new way that God is doing it. No, God has always done in small things to grow them into big things, to come in ways that we wouldn't expect. He's used people that when we look at the Old Testament, we say, why would God use that person? That person is messed up. And then we remember... God, thank you for using messed up people because that means that you could use us too. But we look at God's story and how God has used things small like the mustard seed and grown them into big things. God has maintained a remnant. And we even look at Jesus' own ministry. Right? We've seen it as we've walked through Mark. He comes and he heals people. And, and in that healing, you would think, now go out and tell people about it so that we can grow this thing and it can become this this movement that we need, and yet he tells those people that he's healed, those people that he's cast demons out of, don't say anything. My time hasn't come yet. You see, God is doing a small thing through a small body of people that is going to have a lasting effect and change the world. Through these 12 disciples and, and the rest of the disciples that are gathered there, he's going to move and, and they're going to go out and they're going to be so radically changed by their time and their experience with Jesus that they will grow a church that was nothing into something that we experience today. Like these men establish a church that we are walking in today. And so Jesus' own ministry is this small thing that God has grown into something. I was trying to think, like what is a small thing that we think about and that grows into something? And, and I had all kinds of like, uh, COVID thoughts, and like you just have this one germ, and it gets. And then I was like, no, we just won't even use that. We'll just stick with what Jesus is doing. We'll just think about this seed, right? And so, as you think about this seed, that maybe it wasn't the, the smallest, but some people use that to say, well, obviously Jesus was a liar because the mustard seed is not the smallest seed. There's other small seeds, but Jesus is saying, no, remember, all of you have seen a mustard seed, it's small. It's small compared to the other seeds. And yet when it, when it grows and this tree produces, it's, it's actually more of a bush that would be produced. And it would drop seeds all around it and it would just kind of compound and continue to grow out as this huge thing that actually would be, it would take over the garden. And that's what Jesus is saying. 
Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. And so this morning, we have this promise. Maybe you're looking at your life, and you're wrestling with some of that. Like Chris said, we were talking before, and I feel like, God, I'm, I'm I'm being obedient in some of these ways. And yet I'm not satisfied with what's growing up out of that. And so this morning we wrestle with that. What do you, what do you have that is a small thing that God's given you and you, you're hoping that it turns into this big thing? And I think that there's a promise there, but again, we have to go back to that expectation piece. Like, what are we expecting? Are we just hoping that God will do His thing or are we expecting that He will do our thing? And so we wrestle with that. But I... There's a promise in here that if you see any, any seed at all, like if you see something sprout up like we talked about last week, if you see that blade sprout up, like God is faithful. And He will continue to, to work for His glory, victory in our lives. And He's done it by His own death, burial, and resurrection. And so when we think about what is a small thing, what is a seed that has been buried, we quickly run to the servant king. You see, the king has come and he has a kingdom that's unlike any other because he's a king unlike any other. Mark 10, 42-45 say this, and this is later on, and this is kind of the crux of Mark's gospel. And Jesus called them to him, and he's talking about the disciples, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great one exercised Great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, this kingdom that's being built, this this small seed that's growing into this huge bush and tree, is not what they expected, because the king is coming in a way that they didn't expect. This king comes, and not only does he tell them not to go out and and tell everybody so that the crowds get even bigger, but he comes and he lays down his life. He preaches this good news, and then he walks in obedience to make this good news a reality. You see, maybe the remnant is actually there's just one Jewish man who walks in obedience. And that man is Jesus, and he walks in perfect obedience to the Father. Even to the point of death on a cross. And so this morning, as we think about how has this kingdom grown, this kingdom has grown because the king came. And he gave up everything. He gave up the glories of heaven, and he walked in a very simple, small, meager, humble way. And he walked all the way to the to death on the cross, where He paid for our sins and our shame. You see, it's, it's a corporate thing, yes, but it's also an individual thing. So when you think of Jesus dying on the cross, it is for our individual sins, and it's for the sins of the people that He has come to redeem. And we can't just take this and say, oh, This is a really cool thing. So some of the small things, they're going to grow into big things. No, Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and the kingdom is established by the king. And the king has come, and he's laid down his life 
suffered the wrath of God. We already sang it in one of our songs. The wrath of God was poured out on him. The death and destruction that we were due because we've already said that he's used messed up people like us. We are messed up. We have sin. We have shame. We've tried to do it right. And even our own trying to do it right is usually self-righteousness. But God has come and he paid the death that we owed him. And then he died, was buried. You think of seeds being buried? I, I don't know. You could draw that analogy if you want. All I know is that this is how the kingdom has been established. The king came and he died and he rose again, defeating sin and death, grafting in a new nation, a new people, people who, who were not part of the original covenant have been grafted in because of Christ, because He paid the price that we all owed. And so as we look, we see this kingdom unlike any other because it has a servant king that's unlike any other, and He's creating a people unlike any other. We should look different because of the king that we follow. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 say that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is where we rest today. This is where we run to. We say, man, God, because of what you've done, because you were a king unlike anything we expected, and you came in a way that is different from what we thought, a perfect way, a righteous way, you've made us righteous. You've called us to be holy. You've called us to be different from everyone else. God is creating a people unlike any other. And what is the purpose of that people? To worship and give glory to the God that is like no other. When we think of this kingdom, this, this, this giant bush that grows up out of this small seed... We're seeing this kingdom that's unlike any other, and the design of that kingdom is to worship a God that's like any other. We began in Genesis reading earlier, and we look now at Revelation, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After, I look, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's amazing. It's the end of the story. But it's an end that's going to continue on forever. We are part of those people from every tribe and people and language standing before the throne. People that are unlike us. And we're going to have the privilege of, in all of our differences and in all of our different ways of thinking and doing and living life and the way that we look different, we're going to stand before the throne of God and we're going to reflect the glory of God back to Him. And we're going to worship Him for endless days saying, salvation belongs to our God. That seed, that king that came in a way that we didn't expect, He laid down His life and He saved for Himself a people. And we get to be part of that people and we get to worship and proclaim the good news that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What do we do with this this morning? 
all of that seems like that's fact. <laughs> what do we do with that? How do, we, how do we live out of that? Well, the first one was listen, right? We wanted to listen and hear. So this morning, the application piece is, hey, if all of that is true, and if there's this king that has done all of the things that we're talking about, then we want to know him. We want to hear his voice. We want to know when he would go to other people with that good news. And then we want to walk in obedience and proclaim that good news. We want to hope. We want to have hope and expect the kingdom to actually become a reality. Maybe not the way that we think it should, but it will definitely happen because the seed that was planted, that small seed, turned into this giant bush. And, and there's some people who think that the birds that would come in and, and rest in that bush are all the different nations. And, and that's where I land in kind of the, when we think about what is that bush? What, is, what are the birds that would come? It's the nations that are coming in, resting in this kingdom. We want to hope and expect the kingdom. Another application piece would be, don't be discouraged when it looks small. Don't judge what you can see because the God who is working outside of where you can see and what you know, because he is all seeing, all knowing, he is doing this. He is building his kingdom. And thankfully, we can't stop that. (laughs) We can't mess it up. Because he says that even the gates of hell cannot prevent his kingdom from being established. And so this morning, we rest there. We don't get discouraged when it looks small, whether that's in the lives of our households or in the lives of our neighbors or in the lives of our community or in the lives of our country where we're like, man, this whole thing is going to hell in a handbasket. It's crazy. We don't have to worry about the fact that you only hear small voices speaking truth or you only hear quiet things or, man, I don't even see the church. Where is the church? God is doing it. He's using what is small and making it into this beautiful kingdom. And the final call this morning is, hey, what do we need? What do we need to do as the church? What is the small thing that we're being called to do? We want to walk in small, simple, humble, faith-filled obedience. That is what we do. You see, we have this God who is doing the kingdom work. He is establishing His kingdom. He is building up His kingdom. And in that kingdom, He's calling all of us to follow Him. And so we walk in small, simple, faith-filled obedience. That faith is that hope that the kingdom is actually being established. Obedience means that I have heard, and not only have I heard, but it's transformed what I do. But it doesn't have to be this huge thing. It can just be this small thing. It could be going to your neighbor with, a, with dinner when they're sick. And then when they say, man... Nobody does this. You can say, I, I didn't even want to do it, but I have a God who has laid down his life for me. Right? Like, you're sick. I don't even know if I want to be near you right now in this day and age. And yet, I know that my God has given up everything for me, so I will lay down my life for you and for him. 
But we have to be explicit with that because otherwise we just look like good people. And so let's make sure that not only are the, are the faith-filled obedience that we're walking in, but we're also proclaiming this good news. Look, I can only do this because Jesus has done it for me. And so we walk in those things. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you. And we thank you for this small work that seems like It almost seems ineffective at times when we're reading Mark and people come and they go and they just really want to see Jesus do the miracles. And yet you've called some people to yourself in the midst of that. And out of those people, you're going to build this kingdom, this church, Lord. And you've done it throughout history as you've built your kingdom through your people. And so, Lord, today we rest in that. We thank you for it. We thank you that we are benefactors of that truth, that today we hear the word because there have been people that have walked in small, simple, faith-filled obedience. And Lord, we pray that we would continue to walk in that for your glory, Lord, so that these small seeds would grow into this beautiful tree. God, that the small seed of the word of God planted in our hearts would grow into us looking like you into us being image bearers, being transformed and conformed so that our communities and our families, our co-workers, our schoolmates can see Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you're doing this. We thank you for the promise and the hope that you give us in your word. We pray that we would walk in that faith-filled obedience today. In Jesus' name, amen.